0: Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. During World War II in the Pacific Theater, the Americans were looking to find an unbreakable code. Shortly after Pearl Harbor, the Americans were already making some headway against the Japanese system and wanted something more resistant to enemy cryptologists for their own codes. Complex mathematical encryption tables were widely used, but often cracked. So the US Army resorted to using the very rare language of the Navajo Indians. In early tests of the code, one general sent back to the US The enemy never understood it. We didn't understand it either, but it works. Now, some codes are universal and might be happening in the pew right now as we calm down our boisterous kids, or that look we get from our spouse when we break a social faux pas. I don't know about you guys, but I'm well-versed in receiving this code. However, the real purpose of a code is to speak plainly to whomever you want, while at the same time keeping other parties in the dark. Others may be able to see see it or, or hear it, whether it's words or some type of signal, but if there is no insight, then there's no understanding. The chicken is in the pot. I repeat, the chicken is in the pot. Where we pick up in Matthew 13, Jesus is about to speak in code. To some it makes perfect sense, yet to others it's a total mystery. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that your spirit be present, teaching our hearts as we hear from you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. The parable of the sower that our brother just read is not actually about the sower. The imagery of the sower could be representative of many who have put forth the gospel message. It could be God himself, whom the writer of Hebrews says, has spoken to us in many times and in many ways. And in these last days has spoken to us by his son. The sower, then, could be a picture of Jesus who preached salvation throughout his time here on earth, or even the Holy Spirit. The sower spreading the gospel seeds could be angels or prophets, or even you and I, as we bear witness about what God has done to our friends and neighbors. Yet this parable is centered on none of these. The focus of this parable is also not on the seed that was thrown. The seed of the good news of Jesus dying for our sins and rising again falls on many places and on many ears. Yet this parable is not primarily about the seed of the gospel. The parable of the sower then, when it comes down to it, is about the condition of men's hearts when they hear the good news of Jesus, of which we are only given four possibilities. The hard path, The rocky soil, the weedy soil, or the fertile soil, that's it. Four conditions for the hearts of the entire race of men. It would stand to reason, then, that there are only four conditions of the hearts here at People's Church. And as the gospel message lands in one of these types of soil, the outcome is simple. The seed of truth bears fruit, or it does not. Although this morning we're going to be primarily focused on the seed that fell on the hard path, we're going to spend much of our time examining another layer of intrigue through this passage. And That when conveying the message of the four types of hearts, Jesus is going to speak in code. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, Hear now the code that Jesus sends out. A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Oh, what a code it is. The words on, the, on themselves on the surface are very understandable. Although speaking Aramaic, as we see, say here in Canada, Jesus is speaking in plain English so that every word is understood. But what do they mean? I imagine some of the listeners looked around puzzled maybe turning to stare at some of the farmers in the crowd. It seems as though some farmer was throwing seed, some landing here and there, some growing to maturity, and some not. I guess that farmer should have watched where he was throwing. You don't want to waste seed, especially in times like this. Jesus isn't talking about farming at all, but using a metaphor to refer to the kingdom of God. A metaphor thinly veiled at that, yet still not understood by most. So why the parables? Why speak in code? The disciples are curious too. Look to verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given and even now they're inquiring jesus doesn't immediately give them the reason why and instead answers their question with yet another riddle look to verse 12 for to the one who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away has what jesus who will be given more what will be taken away Hmm. more on this later. Then Jesus answers their question in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. The message has been spoken clearly, but what if the seed has fallen on the hard path and the hearer doesn't really care to understand it? Should this be the case, there's all sorts of convenience to turn the tables on the messenger. When I was a teenager, the group of us, uh, we had a group of friends, but one consistently had to turn in early, uh, which is no fun. He would always come up with very creative excuses as to to why he didn't make it home on time. Sometimes he would set his watch back an hour. Sometimes he claimed the, the watch battery died. Sometimes, I didn't hear you call, or I lost track of time. His poor mom. (laughs) It's not my fault. If you didn't get the message, then you're not accountable, right? You've spoken code, Jesus. How was I supposed to understand? In hard heart logic, if Jesus is creating the barrier, then maybe it's safe to blame him for the message not getting through. But then Jesus quotes Isaiah in verse 14. Indeed, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Isn't this unfair? Why keep the mystery from them? However, the barrier isn't the parables. The real reason the crowds are unable to understand has nothing to do with comprehension of the mind, but of the heart. And now verse 15, as Jesus continues, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. Who is obscuring who? It is they who have closed their eyes and ears. The code that Jesus is using is embarrassingly simple. Far from being unbreakable, you only have the desire to understand it. So what should the listener understand exactly? Their fallen nature and that Jesus will save them from their sin. Hear the Lord's response at the end of verse 15. If the listener would open their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. It's not that our human nature can't crack the code, but that in our sinful state, we don't want to. Many don't want to be healed of their sin. They don't see the need. If the first symptom of a hard heart is to blame God for speaking a code, the second symptom that our hearts may be hard, the hardened path is evident And that whenever the spiritual is being spoken of, the literal always gets in the way. While Jesus often spoke in spiritual terms, every discussion... Every topic to the listening ears of the crowd is still about the physical, the temporal, or the mundane. Whether Jesus is speaking about rebuilding the temple in three days, the sign of Jonah, or offering up his flesh, the crowd's recoil in disgust and disbelief as they always seem to be fixated on the here and now. They never seem to be able to get past the physical and see the spiritual picture of Christ's death and resurrection for our salvation. With all the distractions we have right now in the news, wars and governments and culture shifting so rapidly, the same goes for us too. What a crucial time to be able to see past the physical and see the Lord in it all. What a season to read the signs of the times and focus on our mission of saving souls instead of so blindly caught up in the moment. In Mark chapter 8, the disciples, without the help of the Holy Spirit, can't get past the physical either. Listen as I read this account. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. The disciples think they have a physical problem. But Jesus is centered on a spiritual problem. And again, using a metaphor, Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Still unable to break the code, the disciples are still stuck on the physical. And again, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Now listen for the similarities to our passage. Are your hearts hardened? Ouch. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full did I take up?" And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said, Do you still not understand? The physical, the physical, always about the physical, that life in the spirit is more than food or shelter or the news or our first world problems is lost on a hard heart. Blaming God or not being able to see past the here and now is bad enough. Yet there's an even more sinister symptom of a heart that refuses to break the code of Jesus. Jesus. Look to verse 18 and 19 as Jesus explains the mystery of the seed that fell in the path. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. This revelation from Jesus is stunning. The context of this parable is the gospel falling on human hearts, but notice that another character has now been introduced. The birds that ate the seed on the hard path are described as demonic birds of prey that snatch away the gospel that was sown in their heart. We have described to us an unholy alliance between the hardened heart that doesn't want to see its own simpleness and the forces of darkness that desire to keep it that way. Not only does this profane union not desire to clear up the mystery, there's an incentive to create haziness, fog, and ambiguity. There's a seeming advantage to obscurity, And so another code is created, not by God, but by us. This new code is widely used by spiritual forces of darkness. However, once you become aware of it, it's rather effortless to spot. This other code is used to defend oneself from the invasiveness of the gospel, to keep at arm's length any personal conviction. And this seemingly clever code is also used to attack effectively without any opportunity for mercy. And this demonic code that I'm referring to is the code of generalities. Generalities, by definition, are vague and subtle and elusive, leaving out key details. They're often incomplete, and less than the full story, leaving others guessing or trying to fill in the blanks. Satan's temptations are full of generalities that leave out the full picture. Listen to Genesis 3 as Lucifer tempts Eve. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. While in the general sense this is true, that Adam and Eve will know good and evil, there's so much more to this suggestion that has been left out, resulting in a catastrophic curse. Or again, when Satan tempts Jesus, if you then will worship me, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. So simple. Isn't this God's plan that Jesus would inherit the nations? Yet the missing details are damning. Those desiring to shield themselves from their own unrighteousness employing even simpler generalities. In defense of one's own unrighteousness, I'm not that bad. Or I'm just a sinner like everyone else or nobody's perfect. How vague. How ambiguous. It's code. Bad and sinner in this context are very broad terms and highly subjective to the point of being meaningless, which is in fact the goal. And although the Bible itself may use expressions like, for all have sinned, God's word will never leave us there. The scripture uses language of specifics which add definition. It will not only speak of being a sinner, but will spell it out. Moral specifics break through the mist and can be highly effective as they cut right to the soul. In regards to your sin, have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? Have you ever stolen something? How many times do you need to steal before you are a thief? People who aren't that bad, or sinners like everyone else, don't need a savior. Thieves and liars do. And anyone from a hardened criminal to a faithful churchgoer who really doesn't want to break the code of Jesus will typically use the code of generalities. Their desire is to avoid any kind of clarity like the plague, as clarity makes their transgression and their disinterest inescapably personal. Do you see your sin and fallenness through the lens of specifics? Or are you just a a sinner like everyone else? The code of generalities used by our hard heart and its demonic allies are not only good for defense, but remarkably deadly on the offense as well. Years ago, our whole elder board came under attack by some who said, They sensed pride on the board. Wow, talk about shooting fish in a barrel. What human at some point hasn't wrestled before God with some internal sin, some sort of arrogance. God knows the foolishness of the hearts of men, and our wrongs are not hidden before him. We all wrestle with internal struggles, and we deal with them as the Lord reveals them to us And we as believers should all be inviting the Lord, as David did, to search and to know our hearts, to see if there's any grievous ways in us. Our elder board at the time was no different, and there was certainly some soul-searching going on, checking in with each other, with our wives. Perhaps we needed to make this right. But how did this pride manifest itself? What did we do that was prideful? What did we say that was arrogant? The code of generalities is vague and it's purposeful as there's no way to figure it out, no way to crack the code. There's no way to seek restoration of that which is only sensed with nothing tangible to make it right. What did I say? Or what did I do that led you to this conclusion? And since there's nothing specific, you can't make it right. You are forever in your guilt. You will forever be the oppressor. It's an unbreakable code. Satan used the code of generalities to kill millions in Soviet Russia between the 1920s and 40s. You didn't need, to be, you didn't need specifics to be found guilty, only a label. During this time, an excerpt from the communist newspaper named The Red Terror read this, It's not necessary during the interrogation to look for evidence proving that the accused opposed the Soviets by word or action. The first question you should ask is what class he belongs to. There was nothing the Soviet middle class could do. They couldn't wave the red flag high enough. They couldn't sing enough anthems, march in enough communist parades. They were guilty, not because of specifics regarding what they said or did, because of their station in life, because of a generic label. How do we fix it? How do we become friends of the state? You can't. And that's by design. Our culture has latched onto this code in an unprecedented way. You don't actually need any evidence of racism, Islamophobia, homophobia, transphobia, bigotry. Facts and evidence of what was said or what was done are not needed in our society. All that is needed to attack with these generic labels is to feel offended. What did we do? What did we say? We don't want to be viewed at these labels. Isn't there some way to fix this? No, there isn't. Because it's all part of the demonic code of generalities. Years back, when the board asked these individuals for examples of the pride they claimed, the reply was simply, we don't have any, we just sense it. Sometimes in life, the demand for an offence far exceeds the supply. In other words, sometimes in life, the desire for faults in others far exceeds the reality of their existence in an effort to display our own righteousness or to defend our own sinful position. Generality should now be on your radar. Watch for them. And whatever you do, do not use them in accusations or dismissals of others, for they are the devil's code. And they have self-righteousness and control written all over them, and they're insidious, and they're designed to be unbreakable. Those... Listening now to the parable of the sower can't seem to break the simplest code of Jesus because they are blaming God. They are unable to see past the physical. And now together with the demonic birds of prey, creating a cloud of ambiguity to shield themselves from the specifics of sin. Do you want to understand? The code that Jesus is using is very easily cracked if you want to. The mysteries of God are riddles with answers, locks with a key. And the question is even this morning, do you want that key? If you desire to understand the mysteries of God, turn to 1 Corinthians 2. Keep your finger in Matthew 13. 1 Corinthians chapter two. And look to verse six. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. The secret and hidden wisdom of God was the undisclosed mystery that Jesus should be killed and that his innocent sacrifice would pay the price of sin for all mankind. So now verse 10. These things, the mystery of salvation, God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. When I was a a young guy, uh, my mom taught me an illustration which has stuck to me to this day. And she said, John, if they decided to make 100 carbon copies of you that look just like you, that behave just like you, that no one else could tell the difference, you would know you are you because your spirit inside of you knows your thoughts. I'm me. I know what I am thinking. And in the same way, the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. And then when we're born again, the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us, and now we can know the thoughts of God. Verse 12, here it is. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand. We get it. The code is broken. What do we understand? The things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit reveals the mysteries, gives us the answer key, solves the riddles, breaks the code, and illuminates God's Word. The written word of God is speaking about some farmer throwing seeds. The spirit of the word of God is speaking to our soul about the spiritual condition of our heart. Those born of the spirit can see past the physical words and understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. Return to Matthew 13. And look to verse 23 as Jesus explains the final line of the parable. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundred, another sixty, and in another thirty. Teachers and preachers of God's word have a full-time job in unpacking God's word, explaining every riddle, attempting to unfold every mystery to those who just might not want to get it. Maybe the listener will wake up. Maybe they'll have a change of heart and they'll listen. Teachers and preachers will speak plainly of sin and the wrath of God to come. Speak clearly of salvation through Christ alone, emphatically of Christ's death and resurrection. Communicate in simple terms how the godly are to live. Yet there remains an interesting phenomena. The vast majority of feedback comes from those who already do understand the code of God's word and how it impacted their heart and they tell of conviction and refreshing and learning. They send out encouragement as they were encouraged. And this is the answer to the riddle that Jesus gave in verse 12. For to the one who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. For you here this morning who have surrendered your will and are born of the Spirit, you are not the same person you were an hour ago. As you hear God's word, you have grown, you have matured, and many of you already have so much in the way of life and godliness and peace with God, and you are, even now, given more. In your everyday lives, this abundance is clear. You don't blame God, but acknowledge your sin. You can see past the physical and see the greater mission of Christ. You are speaking with moral clarity and specifics. You are praying for one another, practicing giving on many levels in church and our community. You are fasting. And in both your character and your testimony, you are yielding fruit as you impact those around you. Praise the Lord. The code of Jesus is broken, and God's word is clear and understandable. While at the same time, There are those here this morning who don't get it. They have heard the very same message, with the very same scripture, the very same illustrations, but God's word remains foggy, unclear, and maybe even a little offensive. Offensive. If this is you, we're told the mystery of, in the mystery of verse 12 that you won't leave here the same either. You won't leave here just as you were before you came. But will leave this morning with even less. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. As Jesus said, the evil one will come and snatch away what has been sown in your heart. This is a serious statement. Whatever understanding and conviction you do have will be taken away as you repeatedly hear God's word and refuse it for whatever your reasons. In the Pacific theater of World War II, the language code of the Navajo was so cryptic that through the whole of World War II, the Japanese never cracked the code. It was everyday language to the code talkers, but frustratingly elusive to the Japanese. The code of Jesus doesn't need to be elusive. And here's the mysterious thing about the soils. They don't need to stay that way. The condition of our heart can change if you are willing. Should we have a hard heart, there is still hope. Within the great and majestic sovereignty of God, there still remains the call to open your eyes and see open your ears and hear and understand with your heart and the lord turn to the lord and he will heal you of your sin let's pray lord we thank you that you are a kind and merciful A kind and merciful God and mindful to send sowers of your word. Those who are faithful to share their testimony, to speak of you. Lord, that you are faithful to spread the seed of the good news of salvation that we have in Christ. But Lord, our prayer this morning is for our own heart. Or maybe there are some here this morning who recognize the symptoms of general, general, uh, using generalities to define their sin. Blocking the message. or Unable to see past the physical. Lord, we pray that even now it would be a time of self-examination to look into our own heart. and Lord, that if we would just see, if we would just hear, if we would just understand, Lord, that you would be faithful to heal us from our sin. Lord, we thank you for this mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.